0: OK. Um, I appreciate the chance to be here in this almost absurdly beautiful campus um, that has its own bottled water. And um, it really is nice to have an audience. I teach statistics. It's nice to have an audience that wants to be here. So I appreciate your, I appreciate your presence. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to present kind of half-baked research. Um, that is um, unfortunately still in progress, although we'd hoped to have it done by now. So this project is kind of a, th- everything is like a trilogy these days. So this is our, the third chapter of work that Fernando and I have been doing for years on social capital, migration, behavior, um, and uh, aspirations, okay? so. What we noticed as we did uh, our research, or as the research progressed, is that a whole lot of people, and this is true of life in general, a whole lot of people don't do what they say they're going to do. So, um, this became a bit of a curiosity. As all sociologists, I think, and certainly most sociologists in this room, we can attribute almost anything to social capital. It's what sociologists do best is basically associate social capital to a variety of outcomes. Okay? So social capital in migration research has reached a high level of prestige and is attributed with a lot of behavioral norms and the continuity of migration, so on and so forth. But we asked the question of why do some individuals with access to migrant networks and associated migration-specific social capital fail to make use of this social capital? and remain in their countries of origin. Okay, that's the general abstraction. We're working specifically in Mexico. OK? Does that make sense? Yep. OK. Fantastic. So the migration social capital link is, I could have listed, infinite amount of authors. OK? We all have our reference points for that in contexts and so on and so forth. But migration social capital link is something that people have pointed out for a long time. Um, the mechanisms are somewhat known, at least in labor migration. You, people here have gone, uh, I've seen presentations that are much more nuanced than this, but typically the attribution between social capital and migration is based around accommodation or information about accommodation and information about employment or work. And that's generally what facilitates the migration decision, and that's generally how social capital is operationalized in a labor migration context. Migration networks predict migration aspirations to migrate in Latin America. Um, and I've done work on this, and Fernando's done work on this. Um, particularly interesting work on how uh, social capital is particularly predictive of uh, clandestine migration or undocumented migration um, relative to, uh, more, uh, to other streams. Okay? So I propose a small step forward. It's called a hat step, maybe kind of dragging one leg. And we dynamically model the decision to migrate by considering um, information over a period of three years. OK? Basically, what we do is we have a very large amount of information about uh, migration decisions. And we're able to look at a few, just to make sure I forgot to tell you something. Um, We generally uh, uh, look at a few different steps um, in the process. So at wave one, we look at aspirations. At wave two, we look at aspirations, and we look at migration between the two. And you can imagine people who aspire and then no longer aspire, people who don't aspire and then do aspire, people who have not migrated and then subsequently do migrate. So, in a sense, we can look at a variety of different outcomes in which one aspires to migrate, no longer aspires to migrate. Someone aspires to migrate, migrates, or someone aspires to migrate and still aspires to migrate, or someone said no the first time and continues to say no the second time. Okay? So you can imagine a variety of different states, kind of overly simplified way of thinking about it. And this comes from a long tradition of in the migration decision making literature of the role of aspirations, or preferably if you have them, intentions. We didn't have intentions. This is what we did have. We had the Mexican Family Life Survey, which is a a really interesting survey for those who want to work on migration. Publicly available, have at it, enjoy it, tear it apart. Uh, The team that did it is wonderful. They're very nice people, and they will not answer your emails. However, if you go there, they will be nice, and they will help you uh, facilitate a few of the, the kind of eccentricities of the data. So I suggest that you use it. As a result, we had wave one, wave two. We'll continue with wave three if we can, and about 10,000 individuals. Um, it's a longitudinal sample. It's a household survey. Uh, we we're looking at a certain age range, which explains why we don't have that many. But you have a you have a lot of people. It's got very good follow up. About 90 over 90 percent in wave two um, are recontacted, including migrants who have left Mexico. Okay, so it's prospective panel meaning that no one's migrated in Wave 1, and by Wave 2, people may have migrated or not, but there's no selection in in Wave 1 that's premised on subsequent migration. Okay? This is the kind of nice stuff for people who are interested in aspirations. You have question 1. Have you thought about moving in the future outside the locality community where you currently live? And I've presented the uh, original language in which the question was posed. And then question 2. To where do you think you could move? Okay, That allows us to separate international migrants from people who are thinking of a very different type of migration stream. The most popular response is um, uh, to another state within Mexico, um, followed by international migration. And people, probably for a variety of reasons, don't consider too small moves to be worth mentioning. Okay, We did, um, I've noticed at this conference that the methods really aren't interesting to people. So we did regressions to kind of parcel out this, okay? it was For those that care, it was a random intercept model because we had information at a higher level um, than just the individual. But ultimately, what we were looking at was a number of contrasts, okay? And so we can argue about model specification if you want, but generally what we're interested in were these kind of three different types of outcomes, and a multinomial model allows you to do contrast between one state versus another, and so you have to kind of do a little mental gymnastics sometimes to understand what it is that we're talking about. We looked at what um, Fernando is calling uh, more planned, and these are people who in Wave 2 migrated, or had migrated by Wave 2, versus uh, those that aspire to migrate. Um, you can also look at what he's calling unfulfilled migration, and these are people who no longer aspire to migrate, versus those who aspire to migrate. And then the less planned, which are those who migrate. He was very interested in this, and I agree, that there's a lot of, uh, given the time frame, a lot of, in quotes, unplanned migration. In other words, aspirations aren't going to capture a lot of decisions because migration, decision-making can be on a much shorter frame. Okay. so. We have aspirations at baseline. Now, you can imagine a model in which we select only on those that aspire to migrate and look at that across time. Or we could look at only those who don't aspire, and so on and so forth. We looked at the full sample and basically held constant aspirations at baseline. There's a variety of model specifications. I'm not particularly satisfied with this one, but this is the one we went with for today, Okay. We look at migration-specific social capital. Um, This comes from measures of, can you give me the time? Okay. So we looked at migration-specific social capital, and basically we had uh, of four what they call recontacts, and these are people that they mention who are members of an active network. These are people who are in the U.S., and then you can offer additional information if you want to about their place of residence, whether you have a contact number for them, um, and so on and so forth. This was had a double purpose in the survey; it was for tracking and also for measuring uh, relationships. You can measure up to four. Okay? So not an infinite amount of contacts, but up to four. Extended ties follow a very normative, admittedly normative, uncomfortably normative uh, description of the family, in which close ties are what you would call your members of your nuclear family, in kind of an Occidental approach towards understanding the family. And then extended networks are a, a large category of other relationships that you could mention. Okay? Household migration history, it's a full household survey, so we know information about every member of the household and all of the trips they've taken prior. Um, This is often in other models of social capital and migration behavior. This is is the only metric of migration, Uh, like the density of networks in the community or the density of networks in the household. That's typically what that metric would be. It's a common measure of social capital. And then we have a number of controls um, that mostly come borrowed from other models of migration behavior. Specifically models of migration behavior that include expectations, aspirations, or intentions. So, I think the only one of these that isn't just kind of like, well, everyone does that, is this crime uh, measure. And that is an effort, the best we could from the survey we had, to capture residential satisfaction. So people who were in situations where the uh, level of uh, their interaction with their uh, neighborhood was, in relative terms, more negative um, than people who were in a context in where, let's say, crime was not a problem. Mind you, we're taking into control other things like material deprivation. Um, Probably not the best measure, but it's the one we had. We didn't have a question like, do you like where you live? That Probably wouldn't be very useful anyways. So let's go through, I'm just going to show the general model. I've noticed that most people have run over um, so I'm going to try not to. So I'm just going to show this one table. This isn't the full, isn't the full table. I have more afterwards, but uh, no one likes to look at a bunch of coefficients, not even the people who estimated the coefficients. So I would say that in the end our effort to uh, basically find why it is that some people don't move or what explains why people who have certain aspects of social capital um, choose not to um, muster them um, was largely unsuccessful. I would say that what we have before you are models that look a lot like a typical social capital model. And yes, we can show relationships between social capital and the marginal uh, probability of migrating. We can do that. Um, everyone, everyone who has reasonable data can do that. Um, uh, and I'm sure someone might even want to publish that. But we were extremely unsatisfied with our ability to, f- to deal with some of these questions. So I'm showing you models in which we're only holding things constant, um, interactions are, are not there. And basically, I'm just going to draw your attention to these three different categories or outcomes that are uh, contrast, that are possible. I apologize for kind of the pixelation, but um, here we have what we call the unfulfilled. These are people who, in wave 2, have no aspirations to migrate relative to those that aspire to migrate. And it was the only one that we could find a positive Association was those that, mind you, were holding a lot of things constant. So if we hold aspirations constant, if we hold um, a variety of socioeconomic characteristics of the individual constant, we do find that people who have closer ties, holding all of that other stuff constant or controlling for it, (coughs) are more likely to no longer aspire to migrate in 2005-2006 relative to aspiring. This is kind of what you'd expect, or not expect really, is that relative to no aspirations to migrate, those with closer ties are less likely to migrate. And then here, this is no longer significant. This is the migration versus aspirations to migrate. But it is significant before we hold socioeconomic characteristics of the household constant. I guess I'll show one more table, which is uh, not that one. Yeah, I guess that is that one. So those who aspire to migrate in baseline with no social capital, these are models in which then they have no social capital, no active networks in the US, are more likely to no longer aspire to migrate relative to aspire to migrate in the second wave. So these were the two kind of areas in where we found some positive association between social capital, we could deal with some positive association with social capital, and people who do not move or no longer aspire to move. But I would say the results, I'm pushing them to say that we had results that tell a particular, at this point, a particularly coherent story. Um, I think I'm going to leave you with that, Um, and uh, apologies. Um, I think that the paper has a nice frame to it, and we certainly have the right data to answer the question. Um, But I think that uh, our results don't um, offer uh, a clean story the way I would like to tell them to you. And Fernando would say as much. Thanks.